Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by an app that I created called Still Believe. Still Believe transforms a picture in your home into video proof of your children's favorite magical characters. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy leaving money under their children's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film visual effects artists to transform your picture into video. You can tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the tooth fairy and Santa, and then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes, and you can then save it on your phone and share it on social media. The app is available for the iPhone and Android and is free to download. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co. This episode is also brought to you by my digital media agency, One Circle Media. One Circle creates content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms, servicing networks, studios, brands, and Fortune 500 clients. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoy this episode of The Working Experience. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? Man, HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. To stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was living his toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey, everybody. It's Maddie Kay. And John. And it is snowing like a mofo up here. Uh, same, same here in New York. And uh, this is the first snowfall where I had to bust out the snowblower, and it doesn't work. <laughs> so of I, it doesn't. Why would I it think work? I have a, I think I have a case of uh, bad gas, and meaning bad gasoline in the snowblower, not personally uh, bad gas yeah. that would prevent me from snowblowing. Right. <laughs> right. Any excuse not to snowblow, though. So, uh, I mean, well, this this is a this is a case for not owning a home. Um, oh, God. You know, sometimes I really miss living in an apartment. I I, I, let me tell you, I do, too. I, I spent a thousand dollars on a snowblower. Uh, the thing and it doesn't does, and it doesn't work and it doesn't work. And yeah. now I have to uh, siphon the gas out of the um, the gas chamber go get new gas and this this process should take me about a week by that time the snow will have melted see i will treat this the way i treat everything else i ride it out ride it out out. the snow's gonna melt 
You got to, you, know, you know, it's it's like riding out the storm. You don't fight the storm. You ride yeah. it out. I had a terrible pain in my shoulder like last June. I mean, it really hurt. And, you know, I was kind of interfering with sleeping. And occasionally I would just have to like hold my arm in this odd position above my head. Just rode it out. No pain. Hey, that's, Done. That's, that's the, that's the Maddie mantra. Ride, ride it, it out. out. <laughs> just ride it keep out. your head down and ride it out. Uh, yeah, I am a little miffed at, like, the snow should have come Thursday because then I could go skiing today. Or maybe this should have happened yesterday, but I can't drive up. In the, well, I guess I could, but I'm not going to. So Yeah, it's not, it's not a question of could you. It's will. Well, there, there's, right. <laughs> there's no will for you to get in the car and drive. What is it like three hours away? Two and a half. Yeah. Two and a, yeah. Th- that's Today like it would you, be three. that's like you walk into China. It's not right. going to happen. You know, I read this very interesting quote. You just reminded me of it by this guy, Dr. George Sheehan. My uh, uncle would run at least two marathons a year he, he ran all the time and then i ran a half marathon he got really excited about that because i never really did much in the way of athletics or whatever and he he turned me on to this guy dr george sheehan he like would write all these articles for runner's world and he had ran track in college <clears throat> and then he just stopped and then he picked it up again when he was 45 and for him it was like a religion he just it was the spiritual experience and all of that and um it's, I mean, he gets way out there. He's like, you know, don't read novels. Uh, limit your reading to, like, things that are productive. Like, he really is, you know, he, he gets kind of out there. But he had this great quote. He was like, people say the, f- the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he was like, no, you can you can do it physically. Like, you can run a quarter of a mile or walk. It's your spirit that is weak. You would rather lie on the couch. And I'm like... You know that's right. That's a hundred percent right. And and then we all and then you know it's human nature to justify it. It's like, yeah. oh, I there. It's icy. There's snow on the ground. I might slip. No, you're not going to slip. And if you slip, <laughs> you're just going to get up and continue running. But you Unless know, you're I, me, then you'll lay there and <laughs> then you just, you'll you'll lay there and and try Crap. to call for help. Yeah, <laughs> give up. <laughs> but I mean, I I can relate to that. You know, I. I ran at, at Fordham and st- I mean, I still run to this day and it, it, I mean, I'm not religious about it, but it is, you know, to this day, it's still an enjoyable experience. And it's, it's ironic because a lot of people think, oh, I'm not going to run. It's hard, but you actually feel better. There's natural, um, there's dopamine, you know, the, the, the runner's high it's, it's real. And all you got to do is just get on a pair of sneakers and get out there, lace them up and run. That's what I like about it. Like it's, and again, like weather like this, I'm not going to run. I don't run in the cold weather. I'll wait until, you know, probably March 15th. But yeah, it's like the most simple thing you can do. And what I found that's funny about it is, I mean, when I started, I literally could not run half a mile. Like I would get on the treadmill and then I thought you can only get better. Like you can't get worse at it. You know, you can only. Well, you can. You can, you can get worse at it. Well, I mean, if you keep it up, you'll get stronger. I mean, inevitably, yes, yes, you know, and, yes. and you'll be able to run a mile, you know, you'll be able to, you know, to do it. And you just, you know, like when people talk about, I was just reading something about, you know, 
running doesn't really you know help you to lose weight yeah or at least like running long distance you know you're supposed to run in short bursts and i was like you know you're kind of just taking all the joy out of this like i'm not running for really that reason it just it feels good like it's, it feels good to do it no it, you know? it le- legitimately feels good and there is a point to that because if you're trying to lose weight and you haven't exercised or you're kind of non-athletic and you start running what'll happen is you're you know you're burning extra calorie calories you're exerting effort you'll naturally want to eat more so you'll eat more so you could actually start running and feel great but actually gain weight yeah yeah well that's why there's this whole philosophy now you're supposed to run like a 20 second sprint stop and do that six times and people who do that tend to lose more weight and i thought well that's nice and everything i mean that's good to know but it it again kind of takes like like Dr. George Sheehan's point is like there should be some joy in it. If there's not, you're not going to do it. I mean, that's just the way that it is. I you know? I look for zero joy in my activities <laughs> in life. Grinding it out. <laughs> Grinding it out. No, but there there is um, there is that's another valid point. It, it's interval workouts are much better for you to build to lose weight and build muscle mass is to do yeah. sprints as opposed to go for a jog. But sometimes going for a nice long jog is pleasurable, right? Yes. So yeah. you, you, you've, you've got to mix that stuff in. Well, you know what's interesting too, and then I'll leave off with one of our <laughs> endless tangents, is like <laughs> sometimes I really would not feel like running at all. Like I just didn't want to do it. And after the first mile, I would I felt so much better and I, I ran like five miles. And I, I did, you know, I, I wasn't even expecting to run one. And then other times I feel great the first mile and then I just run out of gas. So I kind of like that unpredictable nature of it as well. You kind of never know what you're going to get. Yeah. And then you just have to, you know, it's then the question is, is do you have the perseverance to push through it? No. And no, yeah, no. Z- <laughs> zero. <laughs> zero. This is, this is where I always hit <laughs> my tipping point. But I, I would just like to... Um, and I, I got this from uh, Instagram. There's uh, something called the Thriving Business Warrior, which is kind of a hilarious thing uh, to think about. You're supposed to be a warrior. You know what I mean? You're supposed to go into battle. You're not just supposed to show it's, up at the office. My my life is war. Yeah. It's, every facet of my life is a battle. <laughs> I've got a battle with my, my wife, with my children, with my yep. family, with my business. Every, I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and apply war paint. <laughs> That's right. Well, on those vein, in that vein, I'm going to uh, give a shout out to myself and how hard of course. I work. Uh, of course, <laughs> a shout out to Maddie K. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to go back to last week when I was on vacation in the Bahamas. Yeah. And Matt was talking ad nauseum, <laughs> endlessly. About his dedication, yeah. his grind, his yeah. hustle, his yeah. output for those ten days was one <laughs> podcast, <laughs> one podcast, and on that podcast, he spent the first fifteen minutes patting himself on the back yeah. and crapping all over my head. Yep. Well, yeah, but you didn't see the prep work that went into all. Of that's that. true. No one that's does. True. The that's nine, why I. The nine that's why days. I have to give a shout out to myself. See, 
the nine tays of the mental gymnastics <laughs> that went on in your head, which yeah. would literally served zero purpose. There was you, there was no research. There was no. you were just debating <laughs> no. with yourself about whether you were actually going to press the record button, and that took nine days. And then I read from the week, the magazine. I I just read items out of that, which. I really didn't have any insight into because I didn't really understand most of it. But I figured our readers would. I mean, our listeners would. So there you go. Serve it up to them. And uh, uh, again, honestly, shout out to myself. People don't know. You know, I work really hard and I need to tell everyone that. So there, you, there you, it is. You have to remind people because on the surface, yeah. it looks like you're coasting. <laughs> it looks but, like I'm not doing anything. But that's in reality, <laughs> that's the magic of it. There, yeah, there's, called... there's Sorry, a, there's a Ferrari twelve cylinder engine under that, under that mask of Maddie. Under that Pinto, under that uh, Pinto <laughs> exterior. Uh, yeah, it's called Elan. Is the term for it? You make it look effortless. When in actuality, I don't actually put any effort into it. So it's I don't know. I don't well, know what you Matt, call that. When I see you, I see that you're in a constant state of flow. You're in that, you're in that peak performance where That's right. yeah. it, it looks like, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of effort to walk that slow. That's right. Absolutely. And, and people do, just, they don't realize it. They, they don't realize it, what it takes for, for Maddie to get up off the couch. The mental for fortitude. <laughs> for me, not so much. And that brings us to our topic um, from uh, an article in The Atlantic by Derek Thompson about uh, a new religion called workism that um, I'm going to pull the article up here. I think we should start this religion, Matt. Well, I believe it started. I, I think we'd have to be getting on the bandwagon, which I'm always good with the bandwagon. Well, we we I don't we don't need the credit of starting it. We can just be the face of it. Oh, true. We can right. be the uh, the Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah. Uh, and who's the other guy? The Baker. What's his first name? Jimmy. No. Jimmy Baker. No. T- I Tammy Faye. James, I, James, no, James eh. Baker was a treasury secretary or something. And, and we're, we're not even going to bother to look this up. Let's just go with James. Sure. G- G- Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Baker, we can be the face. I'll, I'll dress up as Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> I know you're, you're always angling for that. Some sort of mm. uh, cross-dressing. I'm, um, I'm always first in line, hand up. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so this is about how, um, you know, traditional religion has declined quite a bit in America. And I think quite a bit, um, well, in the Western world it has. I think other places, um, you know, religion is still very much a factor. And uh, places well, you like... Know, sorry, go so, ahead. Well, I was going to say, places like South America, just as sort of an interesting side note, some of those countries that have been very strongly Catholic, the evangelical churches have made quite a bit, uh, quite an amount of inroads into there. But in the Western world, um, you know, church attendance and uh, belief in traditional, you know, religion and the institutions has uh, kind of eroded. Yeah, and I wonder why. Um, maybe it's the uh, child pedophilia uh, aspect of the Catholic Church 
Um, you know, we were both raised, you were raised Catholic, right? Oh yeah. As, as, as was I. Church and every Sunday. I do, I don't know, like right now, why, you know, you would, you would want to become Catholic. Who, I mean, at this point they're, they're waiting for people to die off. There's, I mean, they're, I don't know about your and your parish, but all our priests are like 95 years old or can't speak English. They're literally importing priests because they don't have enough priests. And the way that they're dealing with this, um, you know, uh, sexual abuse scandals is free, is terrible. It's, it's a disgrace. Yeah. I mean, the way they've traditionally dealt with it is not dealing with it. They just kind of shuffled around. And this is not, I mean, I remember, you know, two... 2000 2002 there was a you know it came up in a huge way <clears throat> as it is now but you know they were supposed to fix all this stuff about 20 years ago and obviously they haven't so i mean there's that aspect to it um and then i think there's just sort of um you know people don't get a lot out of it i mean they don't really want to go to church every sunday they don't or whatever services they might go to i mean islam still seems to be a, a thriving faith although i don't know maybe some of those countries that that's the face of it but maybe if you asked people you know an average person in iran or someplace like that they might say yeah i don't know you know it's sometimes it's more of a cultural thing you know the, the i mean we get a lot of people at church at christmas and easter and things like that but um you know the point yeah, is i mean that, i mean right we we could discuss you know ad nauseum about the decline of religious and, and i really don't know i think the jewish faith is still strong i mean catholic who knows but the the point of the article is people are not going to church and whatever their do- denomination or religious affiliation and as a result they're losing that community aspect that connection to the shared belief system um and that has left a a huge gap in people's life. And you also see this in the article mentions it too, on the community level um, and not non-religious, just community activities and coming together as a community. And people are so busy with work and raising a family that that's lacking. So, you know, it's human nature to look for the savior. And that's why Matt, you and I, we need to step into this role and become, and become the Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> the dual Jesus Christ of workism. Yeah, yeah. Well, workism, that, that's what uh, Derek Thompson calls it. And he says, um, to quote here, the decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, and others worship their children, but everybody worships something, and workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants and defines workism as that you're it's the centerpiece of your identity and your life's purpose like leisure time and you know whatever else family doesn't really count i mean for a lot of people i assume this is still true you know their kids are really the centerpiece of their life like they want to see their kids flourish and they want to see their kids grow and be healthy and happy and all of that um but even people, uh, you know, and this is among a certain group of people, too. He, he uh, identifies that we'll talk about in a minute. But, um, you know, for these people, it's work. Like, they feel more comfortable in the office. They feel more comfortable 
in their work environment. And Aaron Griffith was talking about this, like, you know, all of your friends are people you work with. And it's so it's like everything becomes identified with work, like it becomes your social network, who you hang out with after work, you know, the stuff they organize on the weekends. And, you know, everything becomes centered around work and producing at work. And that's where your whole value is uh, that it would um you know it's become something that promises identity transcend transcendence and community like we talked about we work last time i mean look at that we live we gym we what's the kids thing we grow we we go to the bathroom together yeah i mean no no it it, and and what's the whole irony of this is that the group that's most affected by this or has embraced this wholeheartedly is rich men. When, so yeah. you, when you would think about it is if you're doing very well at work, and it, this used to be like if you, if you turn the clock back hundreds of years or even 100 years ago, the, you know, the rich industrialists, the rich capitalists, they would vacate, they would take the whole summer off or they would, you know, they would... Once they reached a certain level they had achieved in life and they didn't have to worry about paying their bills or, you know, uh, they're worrying about staff or anything monetarily, they would, they would have leisure activities. Now, it's just the opposite. They, rich guys want to, and rich, rich men, specifically men, they don't mention women in the article. So rich men work even more. So there's this endless, you know, it's not enoughism is floating around, and they're also, they're also identifying it. So it's their their work is their identity. Without their work, their they they don't have an identity. And we spoke to this um, this point on previous podcasts that you know eighty percent of a an adult uh, adult man's happiness is tied to you know whether he's employed or not. Yeah. I mean, telling people you're not employed or you don't have some kind of profession is, uh, you know, this is is a sign of a lack of identity, a lack of ambition, a lack of, you know, whatever uh, skill, talent. And this does seem to be, I don't know if it's uniquely American, but he does, uh, Derek Thompson makes the point that, uh, I'll try to locate this, but... um, Americans work longer hours, have shorter vacations, get less in unemployment, disability, and retirement benefits, and retire later than people in comparably rich societies. So it's sort of like, and I think this goes back to the, you know, to the Puritans. Uh, we've never really been able to shake that idea of work is moral, and if you're not working, like idle hands and the devil's workshop or whatever that you know saying is, that like. If you're not working, then there's you're doing something wrong. Like you should be working. You should be doing something productive all the time. And it's like, well, what about just you know sitting at the beach or nah, <laughs> doing whatever nah. you know? But but when you but when you list those attributes, it, it's it's pretty depressing. Like if you just when you put it down and you state it like that, and when you compare it to other other ide- um, industrialized countries, first world countries. It's pretty pathetic. 
Well, it's sort of like, does everybody not have anything else to do? Or these these people, I would say, like, do you not, did you never develop any interests outside of what you do for work? Or, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's different than being like an artist, I guess. But like, even an artist goes and does other stuff. I mean, they're not doing art 12 hours a day or writing 12 hours a day. Like, you know, you go do other things. You kind of refill uh, your creative well, so to speak. I was, we were watching a documentary on Mark Twain and he, uh, he started Huckleberry Finn and then he put it away for like two years and never, and didn't look at it for two years because he said, you know, he just didn't have any more ideas for the book. So he put it down. Then he came back to it, you know, and it's like in today's culture, it's like, no, 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 you sit down and you, you know, (laughs) work on that book for the next 10 hours and you get those ideas and, you know, it's just sort of like, um, I, I don't, it, like, yeah, there is no higher purpose than work. Then that's, you know, if there's no religion, if you, you know, if you don't believe in God or whatever, and you don't take much interest in anything else, and you're looking for a sense of identity and self-worth, I guess the only thing that's left is your work. Yeah, and the, the article starts off um, with... Uh quoting uh, a 1930 essay, Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren, of the economist John Maynard Keynes, I think I'm pronouncing that right, mm-hmm. predicted a 15-hour work week in the 21st century, creating the equivalent of a five-day weekend. And quote from Keynes, for the first time since his creation, man will be faced with his real, his permanent problem, how to occupy the leisure, which is, that, that statement is almost laughable. Yeah, right? 15-hour and, and work two, week. And 2019, laughable. But, you know, it's, um, you know, when I spoke with uh, David Hansen for, for Basecamp, I mean, they do four-hour, I'm sorry, four-day work weeks in the summer. You know, you take a, take, take a day off. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, I think the, the real question comes down to it is, this is such a huge... Um, message especially in the u.s and society is like you know you're you know what are you going to do what do you do like the and we spoke about this before is like the first thing you when you see when you meet someone it's like what do you do for a living it's one of the first questions if not the first questions and my answer is always ambiguous i want to keep someone guessing i'll never really tell them exactly what i do i'm always like you know, I'm I'm aspiring to be an entrepreneur. It's very very open ended. <laughs> I always like that amorphous. I'm aspiring to be. A, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like it doesn't. You know, I, I would not, say I'm not 80, saying. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say just that word entrepreneur. It struck me. I heard someone using it the other day. Like, well, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I realized that the person saying it really didn't understand what that meant. Like, they thought it was a profession. Like, you got a job being an entrepreneur. They didn't realize it meant, like, starting a business. And I'm oh, like, someone well, would someone would give you the job as a, being an entrepreneur? Yeah, or they just thought it was some sort of, yeah, like, position you got. And it's like, well, no, it means starting a business. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know, this word, they... People hear certain buzzwords, you know, and they just like, oh, well, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like, well, do you know what that means? I mean, do you know what <laughs> means starting a business? Like, you're going to go out and start a business. And I, I, 
like the word amorphous is key like they don't well what kind of business do you want to start well i don't know just like a business like oh okay well and 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 (laughs) the vast majority don't realize that you're just gonna eat plates of crap for about a decade before there's any inkling of success and within that decade you are going to get you're going to be humbled severely severely humbled you're going to test your will on multiple occasions and it's it's not pretty it's it's not a pretty existence and all you know all we hear about is in the press and the media is the success stories and it's like oh so and so sold their company for a billion dollars but we don't hear all the backstory that went into it and then we also don't hear about the tens of millions who failed at that endeavor well and you you know, it, it may be their third business or fourth business attempt. Like they may have failed right. and probably did. I think statistically. Yeah, you know, statistically, like people, you're right. Yeah, they go down the drain and then you have to, you know, try to borrow more money. You have to figure out a way to start another business and all of that. Well, you know, when you were saying um, about, uh, you know, the first question people ask, like, what do you do? You remember, did you see The Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. I, I I like certain aspects of it. I got a little tired of all the drug stuff. I was sort of like, like I I remember him starting to explain something that character Leonardo DiCaprio, and then saying, "Oh, but you don't want to know about that." It was like, no, I do. Like some of the more kind of esoteric business scams he had going on, or whatever. But the part I really liked was, uh, uh, who's the guy? Jonah Hill. You know, played that guy who worked, yep. became his partner. Right. And he just sees him in the in the diner, and he comes in, and he's like, "Is that your car out there? How much does that car cost? How much money do you make?" Like he's just cutting right to the yeah. chase. Like, uh, how hey, do I get no, in on no, that? There's, there's no beating around the bush. No, he's just like, "How do I get in on that? How much money do you make?" And then he calls and quits his job. At, like he works selling mattresses or something like that. Oh. And it's like you know, or I ins- mean, insurance. Yeah, or whatever he does, and. uh but yeah, it is kind of funny. Like it's you know his job. That was a real guy. I should probably read the book. Um, but it is like all about just making money. Like you don't produce anything. You don't. And again, we've talked about that before. But like he was just calling people, trying to get them to buy worthless penny stocks. And I sort of realized, like, boy, you're really celebrated, but you don't do anything really. You just make money, like selling nothing essentially i don't know it just kind of struck me as that like maybe this is why um people uh have to i don't know fetishize work they have to and i talked about this again with aaron griffith like it just sort of feels like overcompensation like you know i have to talk about how hard i work and i have to spend oh, so many hours i am the... i'm always overcompensating in well, anything i'm <laughs> yeah. always to say that I'm stretching the truth is is not is not even coming close. I am constantly over exaggerating how big my house is. I'll lie I'll lie about the cars that I have. And I'll even go so far to do it for my boys. I'll just I'll just fake grade point averages. I'll just pull it <laughs> right. right out of my ass. Right. No, yeah. no, oh, I'll, they're doing an, uh, Yeah, yeah. He's going to yeah. th- like anybody yeah, yeah. cares. He's you know? uh, <laughs> yeah. He's in eighth grade. He's going to Harvard next year. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that's what that's what he's doing. The, the, what I what I love in the article is the the phrase 
homo industrious. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. For the, that's right. That's that all right you there, are. That right. That's a T-shirt right there. Yeah. Homo industrious. Yeah. That's the American dream, Matt. Yep. Yep. Just work. That's it. Put yourself. All, put your, put your head work. in the yoke and get moving. Um. Well, that, actually, you know what? That that's what. And just could you imagine the the misery and regret of you buying into that that uh, that storyline, and then you're 50 years old, and you wake up to the fact that you've you've been hustling and <laughs> grinding, and you've wasted decades of your life. But you know, this is put. This is um, kids are indoctrinated into this. Uh, at a very early age, you know, these days, like uh, totally in high school, it's like, you I think be it's playing... before high school. Yeah, probably, probably. But it's like, you should be in this, you know, uh, group, you should be in the business group, you should be playing a sport, you should be getting a 4.0, you should be, I mean, not all of my students are like this. But I remember last year, we had this thing called the Cultural Proficiency Council to sort of address, like, uh, you know, some some racial stuff that had been going on, you know, kids using inappropriate language, things like that. And this these students were there. And this thing was at, I think, 7 to 8 o'clock at night. And then they were talking about, these were like National Honor Society students, and they were talking about all the work they had to do. I'm like, you're at school at eight o'clock at night. Like, good lord! And you know, yeah, they I, sports. I'm in bed. I'm in bed at eight o'clock. I am literally in bed at eight thirty, maybe nine o'clock, maybe. And that's how these kids who have this, and and you know, I admire it in a way. Like they really do. I know some of these kids, and they they're really good kids, and they do a great job, and I'm sure they're going to be very successful, but. It's like, man, you can see, well, the reason I thought of it, it says, what's more in a recent Pew Research report on the epidemic of youth anxiety, 95% of teens said having a job or career they enjoy would be extremely or very important to them as an adult. This ranked higher than any other priority, including helping other people who are in need or getting married. Finding meaning at work beats family and kindness as the top ambition of today's young people and uh we initially said he didn't mention women but it says workism ha- may have started with rich men but the ethos is spreading of course gender and age in a 2018 paper on elite universities researchers found that for women the most important benefit of attending a selective college isn't higher wages but more hours at the office in other Ugh. words our elite institutions are minting co-ed workists and who does this work for? This works for the companies to... Oh, it, it benefits the corporations. I mean, there's, the whole system is designed to create these these little worker bees. And what's, what's crazy about it is there is, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not like they're, you know, making... I mean, in a sense, you are making more money, but you're doing it for the prestige, you know, you're doing it for the, so I can tell you, hey, Matt, uh, you know, I'm a SVP of blah, 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 and I make these widgets, and I work 90 hours a week, I sleep four four hours a night. It's it's like it's like I am a, a Greek king. 
Yeah, I'm looking for, uh, say, the shift defi or defies. I, it was something in here about, um, uh, where is it? What are you looking for? Uh, it was college-educated men reducing their leisure time. Oh, uh, he used the word, it's like an arms race to uh, earn more money that you don't need. But not only earn more money, but like brag about how much you work. Like, I got to work much more than Ted. I, and it's not just about the money or having a bigger house or a boat. It's just like, I work so much harder than you. And again, it's like this people have almost been I don't like to throw the term brainwashed around and, you know, treat people like they're you know zombies. But like to to make people feel guilty that they don't work hard for you. It's like, well, so what? I mean, like, right. Exactly. Why, why should I feel guilty that I don't work hard to benefit you? And well, it's think, it's the it's the collective story, and and most people are just sleepwalking through life. Because yeah, look, well, the, the, the I, other I thing too, sleepwalking in this context. I mean, these people like work more and more and more, and are like, I, I kind of wish they would do some sleepwalking. I guess. No, it's sleepwalking in the sense that they're not waking up to the realization that this is just a you know, this is this is a waste of time. They're not, they're not looking into the the depths of the matter that's what i mean by sleepwalking you know what i feel like that uh it used to be you know when you were hired at a job at the age of 23 and you were going to work 12 hours a day they were going to work you like a dog but then as you went along and if you did well and you moved up that would reduce so there was like a light at the end of the tunnel you're like i work hard now in my 20s and my 30s maybe till my mid forties. And then I start to see like, okay, you know, maybe I make partner, maybe I'm vice president or whatever. And I can start to breathe a little bit. I'm making more money. I've proven my worth and which is kind of sick in its own way that you have to prove your worth, but that, you know, that is kind of the way it is. You got to prove you can do the job and that's fine. But now there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel. Like this is it. It's just work for work's sake. Right, but I and, I and I think too that there's nothing there's nothing wrong with work. I mean, there are, there are positive benefits to work. You you can provide for yourself, for your family. Uh, there's there's certain freedom attached to that where you you make certain money, you can live where you want, all that good stuff. But the the issue lies where it's taken to you know to an extreme where there's nothing else but work, and you attach your identity to your job, to your corporation, which, you know, everything in life is fleeting. Everything changes. And you're just, you're setting yourself up for a, this is like a mass collective anxiety, disappointment, and burnout. I I mean, it's a recipe for disaster. And we are telling our you know, the next generation, we're telling our kids, like, this is the roadmap to success. This is what you what you have to do. And nobody is outside of you and myself, Matt. Nobody's telling it like it is. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> nobody. I but, there, here... but there are things like, you know, it's like the big Lebowski. Um, and we've spoken about like a confederacy of dunces. Like, I think it's it's refreshing and when I, when I hear somebody bucking the trend or doing the exact opposite of what you're talking about, 
I want to talk to that person. That person is, is intriguing, interesting to me. Someone who's like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm going to move to New Zealand and raise sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's why the Big Lebowski and Office Space, and all, they're, they're so popular because it's like, who wouldn't want to live like the dude? I mean. Yeah, exactly. I love that line. And I think everybody loves that line when he meets Mr. Lebowski, the guy who he, you know, the rich guy. And he's like, uh, the guy goes, do you have a job, sir? Or are you employed, sir? And he's like, employed? He's like, and he's sitting there in his, basically his robe and his shorts and his t-shirt. <laughs> and he says, you don't go out, do you, on a Tuesday looking like that? And he goes, what, what day is this? <laughs> he's looking around like, he doesn't have any idea. And it's like, people love that. Like, I don't care if it's Wednesday or Sunday or yeah, he, Friday. He hasn't, he hasn't seen a calendar in years. No, no. And he bowls. And you know what I love? I dearly love. And then I'll get off it because I could talk about this movie endlessly. Is uh, he's lying on his living room floor, listening to his Walkman, and it's a tape of a bowling match. Like <laughs> I don't know, two years before, it's like some bowling championship, and you just hear the bowls. Uh, the balls rolling down the alley and hitting the pins and he's lying there listening to it it's like wow that's great that's <laughs> but you, but there's but there's a sweet brilliance in that right totally. in that it's it's really funny it was just going back to the article this is another quote that uh, that jumped out at me is we've created this idea that the meaning of life should be found in work and this is what you were speaking about with we work says Oren Cass the author of the book the once and future worker we tell young people that their work should be their passion. Quote, don't give up until you find a job that you love, we say. You should be changing the world, we tell them. That is the message in commencement addresses, in pop culture, and frankly, in media, including The Atlantic, which is, this is what the article was from, The Atlantic, which I, I think it's, that's the, the predominant prevailing message that we're screaming from the loudspeakers is, you know, do what you love. What's your passion? You know, and then and then grind and work at it until you achieve that. And again, there's there's nothing in, there's nothing inherently wrong with hard work. There's just has to be a balance, right? Is it's got to be a balance in everything. If you just work to the bone for for twenty years, you may achieve what you've set out, but there could be you know, collateral damage, right? You could have uh, alienated your wife. You could have lost your family. You could, you know, uh, have a fondness for cocaine. You could uh, have a fondness for prostitutes. And, and, and look, I'm not judging, but, you know, maybe you didn't want those, maybe you didn't want that collateral damage. And maybe you could have avoided that if it was a more balanced life. Maybe if you, if you, you know, set that goal over, you know, 30 years as opposed to over five years and you didn't push as hard. Well, you know, I mean, you said it working at Morgan Stanley, like they don't care about your family. Like if I, I think I asked you specifically, what if you said that, you know, my kid's sick and I won't be in for the next three days, you'd probably lose your job or it would affect your employment. Is that fair? He I mean, there the culture there is primarily about money. I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't be so harsh that they don't care about you. 
and care about your family because if that was truly the culture, they would be out of business. But there is, as with in most corporations, there's this, you know, um, there's this pressure to put the job first and not just, fr- not just from management, but you're all fr- also peer to peer. Like what you were saying is I got to work outwork David. I've got to outwork Sally. So you're, right. it's a very competitive environment, right? So it's yeah. much like, you know, the, you know, if you're in the, you're in the NBA, right? You're at the top of the game and you have to practice and you have to practice endlessly. And as a result, you're not going to be able to spend time with your family. You might have to play a game on Christmas and that might be a big holiday in your, in your family. We don't necessarily begrudge in those players for it, right? Because we want to watch, you know, we want to drink the Bud Light and watch the game, but there are costs associated with that, but we don't necessarily say, the NBA is a hostile work environment. They're making millions of dollars. So you could also look at, you know, a Morgan Stanley investment banker and say, look, I don't feel sorry for this guy. The guy makes $10 million. Yeah, he's got to fly to Singapore to close this deal, and he's going to be away with, from his family for a week, but I have very, very little sympathy for him. And I don't even think well, he's no, looking no, for mean, sympathy. No, I mean, they bought into it. I mean, well, that right. that's the thing. That's the interesting question is like, <clears throat> how have they, the collective they, I don't know if they're corporations or the government or whoever, how have they sold everybody on the idea that their value as a human being is tied to their job? Like, how do they sell everybody on this principle and make everybody believe that? Like, Yeah, if, that's, the, that's the question. If that's Ted really... is working 10 hours, you better not be working eight because, okay, you're going to lose your job. No. But oh, you got to leave because you know you're going to see your kid in a baseball game, whatever. Well, Ted was here till midnight getting the project done, and he didn't go to his kid's recital. So, you know, but they've sold people on that. Like, if you're not doing a good job, meaning you're not producing, whatever that means, usually it means earning money. But then you're not as valued as a human being. And it's like, how do you get people, educated people, to buy into this? Well, it's, I mean, it's it's the same thing. It's it's where human nature is comparison, right? So um, you're you're always comparing yourself against your, you know, you start with your your family members, and then it it goes out to your um, your peers, and now with social media, you're comparing yourself to millions and millions of people or thousands of people, right? and it and it's producing you know, anxiety and depression and, and all, and all that, you know, not so good stuff. So well, he, uh, there, this okay. is another, like, this is another way to compare yourself where, you know, you can take delight in the fact that, you know, you're, you're doing better than you're doing better than Bobby or you're doing better than, you know, Jimmy or Susan, whoever it is. And people take delight in that. They, they, you know, they compare them. Look, if there were no benchmarks, it's like, how do you know if you're, you know, if you're doing well or if you're not doing well? And the, I think the idea is like what we what we value as a society, right? So we value and and you, and it's certain like how people are paid, right? So there is value, you know, I. You know, we've like look at teachers like teachers perform an, an essential 
function in society. They teach the youth who are then going to eventually be running things. And, and my, you know, so in that view, you should, teachers should be highly praised. They should be highly paid. And in most cases, they're not. I mean, I, and we've spoken about this before, like in, in where I live in, in the suburbs of New York, the teachers are, are well compensated. They get a lot of benefits. They, there's pro, there are things that are not run well within the school district. Um, but there are other school districts around the nation that it's just the exact opposite. They're paid nothing. And wouldn't you want a well-educated society? And, you know, and then in turn, we can talk about, you know, education, like the question of whether um, the college should be free or, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a much, much deeper issue. Like for me, I think instead of valuing and, um, you know, propping up and praising multi-billionaires like the Jeff Bezos of society and the, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say Bill Gates, but that kind of refutes the point I'm going to make right now. Why don't we um, laud and throw praise on the philanthropists of society, people who give away the most money? And not necessarily the most money, but there are people that are largely unknown that give away 20 or 30% of the money that they earn and it's not a big number, but percentage-wise, it's a very, very big number for them. And they might give it to a local charity, they might give it to their church, they might help children overseas, who knows. But we value the investment banker, we value the uh, actor, we value the, uh, for lack of a better term, we value you know strippers. Strippers make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, I think... Um... You know, a lot of it is, is money. I mean, people just, you know, we, we live in a very materialistic society. As as spirituality is kind of waned, then, uh, you know, you got to replace it with, with um, material goods. But, you know, when you were saying you want to be better than, you know, Susan or Jimmy, there's always going to be Steve who makes more money than you do. So it's, it's all, again, it's always this like, and it seems to me, again, a, a useful tool for, for lack of a better word, capitalism, that you're constantly keeping people in competition with each other to earn more money than each other, which is just an endless rabbit hole because, you know, money tends to be infinite and there all there will always be somebody with more money than you. So it's this sort of endless distraction from, you know, doing what you value. You're doing what someone else values, which is you earning them more money and being made to feel guilty about that if you don't. If you say, well, you know, I don't want to work for you 12 hours a day. You know, like if you worked for Elon Musk and you said that to him, he would basically tell you you're a bad person. Like in his rubric, you're a bad person. Absolutely. If you don't want to work 80 hours a week, like what's wrong with you? And it's like, but this is to benefit you. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like. I could see a surgeon or somebody leading a research team into like curing a degenerative muscular disease saying, hey, guys, you know, this I, I this is what I need from you. And here's our goal. And no, you're not going to get paid any more money. It's just we really want to try to cure this because it would like Alzheimer's, whatever. You know, there's our goal. Now, an electric car. Yeah, that that's important. But it's it's in the end, it's just another commodity. It's just another thing to sell. But but even money. but even goals that we would all kind of agree, like 
you know, trying to get the cure for cancer. There, there is, there's even something to be said to that if someone who puts their entire life focus within that work. Oh, of course. Yeah, of because course. Well, again, again, the the balance of it, you know. Derek Thompson says there's nothing wrong with work when work must be done, and there is no question that an elite obsession with meaningful work will produce a handful of winners who hit the work list lottery, meaning that they're busy, they're rich, and they're deeply fulfilled. But a culture that funnels its dreams of self-actualization into salary jobs is setting itself up for collective anxiety, mass disappointment, and inevitable burnout. Like, there's just, I guess because there's no end to it. Sign me up, Matt. That's right. Sign, That's right. Where, where do I sign on the dotted line? But, you know, well, speaking of that is, you know, the, the next generation, the millennials, this 85 million plus, And, it, they, you know, they, they're touched upon within the article. The millennials are the most educated generation ever. And we've told them is, you know, education leads to a rich, secure life. No, it doesn't. But it it came at a it came at a steep price, you know. Student debt is brimming over one trillion dollars, which is roughly you know triple over the past decade, and now the economy you know after the economy is cratered in, in two thousand eight, average wages for young graduates graduates have stagnated, making it even harder to pay off those loans. So we've basically given them an ill bill. You know, we, we, we told them like, look, you're, you know, go to, go to high school, go to college, come out. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. And everything's not fine. No. And again, you know, what else are you supposed to buy into? I mean, are you going to say if you have the opportunity to go to college that I'm not going to go? Well, you know, my neighbor is a very good example. He, he passed away, um, Bob Fink, but his, his wife still lives there. And, um, I've known them. I mean, their son was my age and we grew up and he, he's a great guy. Um, he built the house that um, my my father bought this house and the land adjacent to it. And then he, he sold it to him and he's a contractor and he owned a, a business in town. And um, I guess when he graduated from high school, his father said, well, look, I can give you the money to go to college that I was going to give you, or if you don't want to do that, you could start a business. So college wasn't for him, and he started a business, and he was very, very successful. Built that wonderful house and had a place up in Maine, and uh, you know his, his kids do really well, and he's, he's just a great guy. You know, He was a great guy and um, you know, worked hard, but he also did other stuff, and you know, he like seemed to really have that balance. Like he wasn't going to waste four years in college and money. And, you know, my friend Eric did the same thing. He went to college for a semester and then he dropped out. He was like, this really isn't for me. And he's worked in restaurants and, you know, he opened his own place and now he's into real estate and he's, you know, he's always made money. He's always done well. He has a great family, owns his own home. And, um, I, I get annoyed at this constant, thing about turn your passion into something that you make money at it's like why does it what if you just took money out of the equation you know what if i just did this there's a band i really like they're not around anymore but they were fugazi and all of their shows any show they played in washington dc uh which is where they're from was free it was always a benefit for uh some cause or whatever it was so they never took money for that 
And all of their shows, they were in existence for about 20 years. It was always $5. That's how much they would charge the audience regardless. And they never sold T-shirts, never sold any merchandise, turned down big record deals and all of that. And, you know, they're... I, I mean, they made money at it. You know, they made a living at it for a long time. And they still make a living off music they produce and, and this and that. But, you know, they were sort of like, what if we just, you know, t- take money out of the equation and not make a big political stand about it, but just, you know, like we'll charge $5 to cover costs and there you go. And I, I remember mentioning this to, um, I was out one night with a, couple of friends a friend of ours from college and then one of their friends who i never really liked i always thought this guy was a douchebag and, and was he, that was that me no 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 he he oh. didn't go to fordham i won't mention his name because these other guys are friends with him but he was the mr wall street guy and his comment was well if they only charge five dollars it can't be much good i'm like there you go buddy there yeah. you go <laughs> like yeah. That, that encapsulates everything right there. Yeah, yeah, everything I need to know about you, and I don't need to talk to you anymore. But yeah, that's always like pushing, like turn it into something you you can do that you can sell. And it's like, oh my god, like can't you just like paint if you want to, or or write, or you ah, know, sure. I don't know, and not have to make uh, money off of it. Um, know. in everything I do, my first question is, who's paying me? <laughs> monetize I, I, monetize everything well yeah. just just to speak about the point that you just uh, eloquently spoke just going back to the article uh, there's something slightly dysopian about an, uh, an economic system that has convinced the most indebted generation in American history to put purpose over paycheck Indeed, if you were designing a black mirror labor force that encouraged overwork without higher wages, what might you do? Perhaps you'd persuade educated young people that income comes second, that no job is just a job, and the only real reward from work is the glow of purpose. It's a diabolical game that creates a prize so tantalizing yet rare that almost nobody wins, but everybody feels obligated to play forever. <laughs> Jesus. You know, I, I Jesus Christ. I, I mentioned to Erin Griffith if she thought that all of this was part of some diabolical scheme. And she said no. She's like, I don't think people are sitting there twirling their mustaches about this. But, you know, he seems to think a little differently that it's like, yeah, you convince people to work more and not complain about money. I mean, where did this cult come from? You know, like what? Right. Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, I mean, whether this was orchestrated by um, you know, the global elite, what what is the um No, probably not. What what, what do they Yeah, what do they call the global elite? What's that term? Is it the the fifth column or the fourth column? No, it's not it's not the fifth column. The triumvirate? I don't know. I don't know I don't what remember. it is. There, there's a con- conspiracy theory against it with the Rothschilds. And do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And like they all go to some festival and worship an owl or something. Like, that. something. Like, what, like whether that conspiracy theory is true or not, I think is, you know, besides it's the point. Irrelevant. Yeah. It, yeah, it's irrelevant. But you're right. It's like the the fact that this has become our cultural story is disturbing, to say the least, that we place a person's worth and value as a human being in what they 
you know, do for a job. And, and the, the other thing the article mentions is healthcare. Healthcare is tied to your job. You lose your job, you lose your healthcare. I know, which is utterly insidious. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Which is which is insane for for a country as rich as the U.S. for that to to transpire is is insane. It's ridiculous. So everything's tied to work. The you know your 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 worth. So if you lose your job, you've you were somebody. Now you're a nobody. Right. And if you're thinking of leaving your job, if you're thinking like you know, I want to do something else. But I think a real scare for people is not having health insurance and having to pay four hundred dollars a month. You know, no, it's six Matt, it's grand not, a year. It's not four hundred bucks a month. Well, I mean, for an individual, for know, so. for a family, you're looking. Now, it depends on the plan. But if you're doing it as um, a, as a bit like a small business, you're you're tipping the scales over twenty five grand a year, and it could be as high as forty fifty grand. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I, I'm talking about, like, let's say someone's 30 years old. They're not married. They don't have kids. Maybe they can get a plan. Yeah, you know, even, I mean, even that, even that, it might be more like 700 bucks a month. Yeah. So, again, it's like, can I come up with almost 10 grand a year just to pay for my health insurance? And for a lot of people, the answer is no. They, they can't come up with that money. So... Yeah, you're just sort of leashed to your job. And, you know, the other thing, it's like, I always try to remember that the other person is just a person. Like, whether it's my manager or, you know, whoever, the boss of the company. Like, you know, it, I, it starts to build resentment. Like, who are you to judge my value? You know, because I don't work enough for your company, or at least in your perception, I don't. Like, you know, it, it gets to be like, who... Who invented this game? Like Jesus, you know. And but everybody, we all participate on some level because we, what we all do you we have? all participate with smiles on our faces, slapping each other's backs, raising Bud Lights on the weekend. Now I will say that um, you know my profession, education, is not really like this. I mean, we're not you know particularly overworked, although. I would say I have a big beef. I mean, we used to get 12 weeks of vacation during the summer. Now we get 10. You know what I mean? I hear you. Yeah. There, there's so, a, no, there, but there's I'm not another, hearing a lot of sympathy for that. I, I only get 10 weeks I, of vacation. <laughs> I literally I literally have zero sympathy for you. <laughs> I have Plus, more. I only got a week in February, and we're only going to get a week in April. April vacation is six weeks from now. I have to work every day for six weeks until my next vacation. Brutal. How am I going to do that? What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to go to bed maybe a couple hours earlier. Yeah. (laughs) Just cry yourself to sleep and just just hustle through it, Matt. Hustle. You know what? You know what's going to help you is affirmations. <laughs> there we go. That's right. Well, why that's, do you think these affirmations are so popular? Ugh. I mean, this, we mock them relentlessly, but <laughs> you know, people need it. Th- this is another another great quote from the article: "Is workism offers a perilous trade-off." On the one hand, Americans' high regard for hard work may be responsible for its special place in world history and its reputation as the global capital of startup success but extreme success is a falsified god which rejects the vast majority of his worshipers our jobs were never meant to shoulder the burdens of a faith and they are buckling under the weight a staggering 
87% of employees are not engaged at their job, according to a Gallup poll. And that number <laughs> is rising by the year. 87% of employees. But that's what I mean by having to oversell this. Like, and, and I talked about this on another podcast. It's like, can't we just admit this job X is bullshit? And just like, there's a quote in here from the agrarian times when it said uh da 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 work is tangible where is this it, it said something about like um during agrarian times that you know you you went out and you uh oh here it is um in the past century america the american conception of work has shifted from jobs to careers to callings from necessity to status to meaning, in an agrarian or early manufacturing economy where tens of millions of people perform similar routinized tasks, there are no delusions about the higher purpose of, say, planting corn or screwing bolts. It's just a job. So, like, yeah, it, it feels insidious that, like, these jobs, which are not glamorous, they don't serve a higher purpose, like creating a new app to get your groceries or whatever – so just call hey, it that, what it hey, is. Hey, man, hey, man, that's an app idea that you just spilled <laughs> out to the public. Well, I think it's already in existence. Sorry to burst your bubble. But, like, stop bullshitting. Like, just, it's a job. Like, stop, you know, like, let people do their eight hours, do their thing. But, no, it's got to become religion, you know. It's got to be this higher calling and just not all jobs can be that probably a, a fairly small percentage of jobs can be that so i don't know yeah, i i think i think we've come to a halt of our rant uh i'll just end with this um about the millennials millennials were honed in these decades into machines of self-optimization they passed through a childhood of extracurricular overachievement and checked every box of the success sequence only to have the economy blow up their dreams. <laughs> Whoops. Wh- whoopsie. Whoops-a-doozle. Uh, remember all that stuff we told you for 20 years or so? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's all a crock of bullshit. Yeah, I'm glad you spent all that money on the college, though. Hey. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, well, you know what the antidote is? Uh, you just work harder. Just more hours at the office. More hustle. More no, Not more money. Not more money. No, more hustle. More work, yeah. Um, all right, everybody. Well, uh, thank you very much for listening to that. Well, maybe not jolly podcast, but maybe maybe a little food for thought. Yeah, thanks, everyone. And remember to subscribe on iTunes, rate this, share this with family, friends, coworkers, because, uh, you know, I don't know how much long longer Maddie can stay at his current job and he's yeah. going to need another source of income. Yeah. Probably, probably soon, right? Well, I basically have two full-time jobs, this podcast and my actual job. I mean, this is a Saturday. I've put an hour into this. Well, this is an example of us hustling and grinding hustling. for zero money. So we just spent the last hour crapping all over people <laughs> who work for work's sake. And you and I are, we're, we're drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, but this there really is a higher purpose. I mean, where would our where would our listeners be without 
without. Oh, us, that's true. Know? That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. We help. We help our listeners get through the day and the week yeah. of the of the madness of the work experience. I hope somebody just up and quits their job, and then a week later realizes the predicament they've gotten themselves into and blames us for it. Yeah. That. that <laughs> please send us that email. Yeah. Please. <laughs> but don't blame me. Blame John. He's the one who keeps saying that. Yeah. So. And yeah. and likewise, don't blame me. Blame Matt. We're we're right, always po- we're always pointing fingers in the opposite direction. Well, um, we'll we'll, we'll soon be introducing uh, a series of writings, I think, and perhaps even seminars on getting by at work. And pointing fingers and shifting blame, that is an essential right there. Uh, that is the foundation yeah. of the working experience. Yeah, shifting blame, but taking credit. There's the real answer. Uh, that's, that's the sweet the, spot. That's the champagne and caviar of life Whoa. right there, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Man, when you can get into that zone, <laughs> you are you found you're, something right you're there. You're truly in a flow state. That's Truly in a flow dream. state. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of The Working Experience. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media and the Still Believe app, the only app that delivers video proof of the Tooth Fairy and Santa by simply taking a picture. Download the app at stillbelieve.co today and amaze your kids. And if you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.